I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. A young mother's senseless murder has remained cold for over a decade, but some upcoming technology may just crack the case. This is the Brittany Stikes story. Amy, this is kind of a sad day for us. It is. You do realize that this is going to be the last episode we record together for over a month. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought there was something else I was like missing, but it's okay. We'll be back. We're not going to be talking every day like we usually do. I I don't know. I'm having a hard time uh, envisioning how this is all going to work out. I think we'll still talk just as much. I'm getting the international plan when I'm away. And I know that we're going to have some great stories to share when we return with each other and with our listeners. And even though we'll be gone, the episodes will be continuing on our regular schedule. Now, in the meantime, while you're gone, Amy, I'll hold down the fort with James. And I expect that you're going to hold down the fort with him when I'm gone as well. Of course. This week's episode was suggested by one of our listeners. So thank you to Isabel. Brittany's story has actually been heavily featured in the podcast Culpable, where they did a deep, long dive into Brittany's case. I thought it was very well done, but the case still remains open. And as Isabel and others would point out, Brittany's case still needs as much possible attention to get answers for her family. I would just like to say that it was featured in Culpable. They do a very good job. But before that, I couldn't find much coverage on her case at all. So let's just hope that this will, again, contribute to spreading the word. Now let's meet Brittany Stikes. Brittany was born to Mary and Dave Dodson on May 4th, 1991. She was one of five children. 
and her parents moved the family to a farm in Ripley, Ohio, where they raised lots of animals and enjoyed a quiet country life that really revolved around family. The Dotsons were an incredibly tight family, Amy, and you can tell from what you read and listen to that Brittany was super close with her entire family, even helping with her much younger sister when it came to bedtime and so many other activities. Brittany was like a little mama in many ways from a very young age. She loved animals and often showed her pets in local fairs. We've heard this before about people showing pets in the fairs and stuff. I don't think I've ever been to one of these fairs. Have you? Uh, No, but I'd like to. Sounds like a blast. I know. It's just not a, it's not a Jersey Long Island thing, I suppose, but it does sound like a blast. And I know that Brittany really enjoyed this. She was also an avid horse rider and was a car and motorcycle enthusiast. So much so that she worked on motorcycles with her father in their garage and her hope was to build her own custom bike one day. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, she sounds very cool. Very cool. Very well-rounded. And she really had just a love of life. And she loved this country life that she lived. Brittany was also what we'd societally consider to be a good girl. And what I mean by that is that she really didn't get into any trouble, Amy, with the law ever. Or she didn't hang out with a bad crowd. She never used drugs or alcohol She really was kind of salt of the earth. And while Brittany had a high school boyfriend named Dusty, her life took a turn when she met a man named Shane. Shane Stikes was a customer at the local subway where Brittany worked after high school graduation. Now, Brittany and Shane seemed to like each other, but Brittany was still in a relationship with Dusty at this time, though that relationship ended not long after Brittany first met Shane. And when she'd officially left Dusty, Brittany and Shane began dating. And they got serious pretty quickly, Amy, despite the fact that Shane was significantly older than Brittany. You see, Shane was 36 at the time when they met and Brittany was 20. So this was, you know, a 16 year age gap. But the two reportedly got along very well. And this age difference did not seem to matter to either one of them. It was not long before Brittany found out that she was pregnant. Now, Shane had two sons from a previous relationship, and though I think a bit surprised at first, he was happy to welcome another child, a daughter this time. But Shane was also insistent that he and Brittany do things the right way, and that included being married. So the pair got married, and Brittany became stepmother to Shane's two boys and mother to her daughter, Aubrey. And Brittany was a natural mother, which I don't think is a surprise based on how people described her. She was, first of all, thrilled to be a mom. She was doting and loving. And things in the home seemed to be going really well until the time of their daughter, Aubrey's first birthday. People said that Aubrey was like Brittany's, like almost mini me and her best friend. But at the time of Aubrey's first birthday, Brittany found out that she was pregnant again. And knowing that Shane didn't want any more kids, Brittany waited two months to tell Shane about the pregnancy. Wow. How do you keep a secret that long? I don't know. I thought the same thing. I was like, that's a, that's a while. She was in the early stages. So physically, I guess she was mm-hmm. able to keep the secret. But that's still quite a while. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she had to tell Shane. And when she did, according to a close friend of Brittany's and according to Brittany's mother, Shane took the news pretty badly. Apparently, he even said some awful nasty comments to Brittany before 
storming out of their house, leaving Brittany home alone with their three children after that news that she had just delivered. And Shane didn't come back that night. He didn't come back until the next day. Was he upset because she didn't tell him or he just didn't want another child? Because he didn't want another child at the time is what I've read and what I've heard. You know, you hear about this too with couples and the man gets mad. It's like, well, how do you think this happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Equal participation. Yep. So, you know, he left Brittany, who's pregnant, and she was really upset. I mean, devastated. She was thinking at this point that she's going to have to raise her two children on her own. She called her mother and she spoke to her mom about it for a while. But what her mom didn't realize is that after that, she called a good friend and they were on the phone for hours. Brittany was hysterical. She was up most of the night. But by the next day, Shane came home and he was in a much more accepting and happy place about welcoming another child. But unfortunately for Brittany, this joy would be short-lived. On August 28, 2013, Brittany took her daughter, Aubrey, to her mother-in-law, Kathy's home to fill out an online application for a job with the IRS. Apparently, because I was thinking, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just fill it out at home? Mm -hmm. Apparently, the internet service in Shane and Brittany's house was not very good, and her parents also didn't have great internet service. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine because of their location, a little rural country, but Shane's mom had strong service at her home. So this wasn't really out of the ordinary considering their geography. On her way to her mother-in-law's, though, Brittany became the victim of a road rage incident right near her home. She later texted her friend that a man in a van ran her off the side of the road and she yelled at him out of the window. But that's about all we know. We'll find out a little bit more later. Brittany got to Kathy's house unscathed and stayed for a little while so she could fill out that application have a meal with Kathy and so Kathy could visit with her granddaughter. This was a weird thing that happened. When Shane called Brittany on his lunch break, Brittany made an odd request. She asked if Shane wanted to just grab some clothes from his house and meet her at his mother's home to spend the night there. This didn't make sense to Shane, but since he was on a lunch break and maybe short on time, I don't think he was digging any further, just saying, no, I don't see why we would stay at my mom's house. Let's just stay at our own home. Let me ask you, how far were both homes from where he worked? Was she just tired and didn't feel like, did she live far away from her mother-in-law? She didn't feel like driving home? She didn't live that far, but let me throw a further wrinkle into this. She wasn't staying there for the night. You see, it was Brittany's father's birthday, and Brittany had always planned on going from Shane's mother's house to her parents' house to celebrate his birthday. And that's partly why this didn't make sense to Shane either. How far did her parents live from Shane's parents? I'm not sure how far that they lived, but I, I know that they were all relatively in the same area. Gotcha. I, I mean, it was several miles, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure you know how, how long it was. Regardless, she had always planned to go there no matter what. And it was later on mm -hmm. because she had an early dinner with Kathy and she was going to her parents' house to have dessert and do the cake thing and presents. Mm -hmm. So Brittany eventually left Kathy's home that evening as planned in the rain because it was raining and headed to her father's home, her parents' home to celebrate his birthday, which again had been the original plan for her evening. She was driving Shane's yellow Jeep, which she had reportedly just begun to use. And Shane was using her van to commute an hour and a half to work. Now, there are a few different suggested reasons for the change in the vehicles. And this depends on what you read and what you consume in terms of podcasts. But Shane said Brittany loved the Jeep, like loved the yellow Jeep and wanted to drive it. And that was the reason why he said she wanted it. I just gave it to her. 
But one of Britney's good friends refuted this, saying that Shane never wanted Britney to drive it because it was his favorite car. So she found it extremely odd that Britney was suddenly driving this Jeep. Regardless, Britney was driving the Jeep on this rainy evening. Can't both be true. It could be true that Shane didn't like her driving the Jeep, but sometimes he just gave in and because she loved driving it. So it could really be both. It could. The friend seemed adamant that he would never let her drive it. Gotcha. Okay. That was the point, I guess. While Shane represented, no, no, no. She liked it and I was happy to give it to her. So, but both could be true. Regardless, she was driving the Jeep on this rainy evening. She had her one-year-old daughter, Aubrey, next to her in the passenger seat in a car seat facing the back of the vehicle sleeping. And she sent a text to her family, maybe her mother, I think it was, at 7.15 p.m., letting them know that it was rainy in town, but she was on her way. I think she may have stopped at a gas station along the way, if I recall correctly. However, this text was the last communication Britney's family would ever receive from Britney. While they waited, wondering where Britney was, her family could hear sirens in the distance, and they were concerned. So concerned that her father, Dave Dotson, got into his car and drove the couple of miles to an accident scene on the side of the road, again, just a few miles from their home. He was frantic. He asked police who it was, and even though they couldn't disclose that to him, they confirmed his worst fears, that the vehicle involved was a yellow Jeep, Shane's Jeep. His daughter and granddaughter were in that car. Now, how were they found? Well, this is interesting. A good Samaritan by the name of Craig LaBelle was driving his family towards New York. He was on a trip, but they had planned a stop in Amish country in Ohio. On the way, he had seen the Jeep's headlights about 20 yards off the road. And let me just tell you something. He saw this after taking a wrong turn in really what was torrential rain. This is a fairly remote area, I'm assuming, right? This is a fairly remote area, yes. However, I will say this, this was somewhat of a main road in a remote area. Mm -hmm. And Craig, without knowing why, and with a very nervous wife who was not sure that he should stop or get out of the car, he did get out and he headed towards the Jeep where he found Brittany slumped over the wheel and unresponsive. Craig LaBelle immediately called 911. When he went around to the passenger side, he found Aubrey, who was awake and weakly saying, Mama, her head full of blood. It was very sad, but Aubrey was alive and conscious. First responders arrived shortly after that. Craig's wife, remember, had called 911, and the injured Aubrey was immediately rushed to the hospital for treatment. But unfortunately, Brittany and her 17-week-old unborn child were pronounced dead at the scene. I'm assuming you're going to get to this, but they died from impact from a car accident? No, but I will get to that. Brittany was covered in blood, and as investigators began to look more closely at the scene, it did become clear that the death had not been caused by a car accident in the rain, which, as you probably just thought, and others might have thought, was the cause of death. However, Amy, shockingly, they found that Brittany and Aubrey had been shot. The baby was shot too? The baby was shot as well. Yes. In the head? Yes. In total, investigators found that five shots had been fired into the Jeep. Two had hit Brittany, one bullet striking her in the neck and the second in the chest. Now, this one that hit her in the chest on the side punctured her lung and traveled through her body into her arm. 
A fourth shot hit Aubrey's forehead. And the fifth had hit another part of the Jeep's interior, missing them both. So doctors were able to save Aubrey. And although the 14-month-old spent three months in the hospital and had a number of brain surgeries, the little girl would make a full recovery and thrive. Just so you know, I'm going to talk more about Aubrey later. But for now, investigators had a dead pregnant woman and an injured toddler who had been viciously attacked while driving. So the question becomes, who would commit such a heinous act and why? The police got to work on this immediately and were able to pretty quickly bring in their first suspect. And Amy, I'm pretty sure you can guess who their first suspect is. Her husband. That's correct. As we've discussed in several episodes. I'm assuming that he has an alibi, though, because he was at work. No? Yeah. So the spouse is always the number one suspect, right? We know that. We've discussed this in several episodes. And Shane was first on investigators' radar, especially since they knew he'd be very unhappy to find out that Brittany was pregnant with another baby. So this does not look good for Shane. And detectives felt this could have been a motive. And so they questioned Shane pretty extensively. Shane was always, I just want to be very clear about this, open and cooperative with the police. He appeared devastated by the loss of his wife. But we know from other cases that affect in these situations does not mean innocence. Mm -mm. However, as you just pointed out, Shane had a pretty solid alibi that could be confirmed. He had the usual routine in which he drove an hour and a half to work, and then he would drive back the hour and a half. And yes, it could be confirmed that he was at work all day that day. But he also had a routine when he came home from work, he would spend a few hours at the gym every night. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that he usually got to the gym around 6.30 and then would stay till about nine o'clock. I can't even imagine, just a side note, I heard this and went, I could not imagine doing this after working all day, commuting three hours, then spending three hours in the gym. No way. Is it possible he was maybe having an affair? He wasn't really at the gym or maybe there was something at home that he was avoiding going home to or? I have no idea if he was avoiding going home for some reason, although It hasn't been reported. And he was not having an affair. And by most accounts, he was at the gym all the time, every night. Remember when I mentioned he had started going to Subway? Mm -hmm. Well, remember when there was like a big Subway campaign, you know, to eat healthier and stuff like that? Uh Yeah. Well, to be honest, I think Shane started going to Subway and started working out in like efforts to turn around his health. Good for him. And become healthier. So I think this was the real deal. I mean, it took time for police to substantiate Shane's mostly solid alibi. And I say mostly because there's always a few time gaps. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it also didn't matter entirely because the, the police were still suspicious of Shane. And of course, so were others. And though Shane had gotten along pretty well with Brittany's family, the relationship changed after her death. What happened was that there was some fighting between Shane and Brittany's father, especially after it came out that Shane had filed a victim of crime compensation claim, which awarded him approximately $50,000. And Dave thought that Shane should pay for the funeral, or at least part of the funeral. But Shane claimed to have already contributed money to Brittany's funeral. And there was some dispute over how much money he should be contributing. Any history of Brittany's parents disliking him prior to this? 
No, not really. I don't know that they love that their age gap and whatnot, but they spent a lot of time together. And it seemed to me from both sides and perspectives that they got along pretty well. And they didn't suspect him or anything. They were just upset about the money. I think possibly they suspected him and maybe the money and him filing the claim and not helping to the degree they thought he should didn't make him look good. So perhaps, you know, even subconsciously, maybe, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That there were some suspicions. And for Dave, Brittany's father, he said it wasn't about the money because he's like, I would have paid for everything. But it was about him finding out that Shane claimed this money that's supposed to go to the funeral. And then he didn't want to help very much. They had also been arguing about where to bury Brittany and the headstone. So the headstone became a point of contention because it had Brittany's family name, her given name, Dodson on it. And then I guess below it, it had her married name, Stikes, but in very small letters, Okay, which I think was a rub to Shane. They also had some disagreements about the funeral arrangements. And look, one could argue that maybe some of this friction was because everyone was in an awful situation. People are angry. Emotions are flying high. Also recall, Brittany's family was very tight. And I remember her parents, you know, her dad said, I got a plot for all my children. We're all going to be buried together. And while that's a beautiful sentiment, you could also probably understand how a husband would think that maybe his wife should be buried with his family. So, you know, there's friction to go around here. Did the baby make a full recovery or did she have to go to therapy? Like, it's amazing. She got shot in the head. She made a full recovery. And again, like I said, I will discuss where she's at now in a bit. But yes, she did. It was really miraculous. In the end, Shane and the Dotson seemed to come to a, a, a pretty civil place as they laid Brittany to rest. They put their differences aside. And Shane kind of thought at this point that things were smoothed over with his in-laws until, much to his surprise, he found out that the Dotsons were pursuing full-time custody of Aubrey. Oh, without even telling him. Wow. Things got messy and Shane couldn't understand why they would pursue custody as he's always been a full-time father. But I will say this, the custody battle ended with Shane as Aubrey's custodial parent. But the Dodsons got Aubrey every other weekend, alternating holidays, and for, uh, I think it was about a month in the summer. So they got very strong visitation. Makes me think also, we just covered the Ruth Markell case, who was denied access to her grandchildren for several years. Mm -hmm. It just made me think of that. In terms of visitation, I just thought this this was very good and Mm -hmm. probably very good for Aubrey as well. Yes. Meanwhile, the police were investigating Brittany's murder. And Shane provided the detectives with some potential leads, beginning with Brittany's ex-boyfriend, Dusty. According to some sources, Brittany had broken up with Dusty because she said he cheated on her. And Dusty took it pretty hard. So Dusty admittedly did not want the breakup. But remember, they were also very young and they were high school sweethearts. When they split, Dusty went to Cleveland and was enrolled in college. And he actually didn't know what happened to Brittany until he received a phone call from the police informing him and asking him to come in for questioning. Now, Dusty was scared, of course. If you're being brought in for a murder investigation, you would be terrified. But he also had a very solid alibi. You see, Dusty was in Cleveland, about four hours away. And there was video of him at work and at school during the time Brittany was murdered. The police also reviewed his bank and phone records, and Dusty came out with no ties to this crime. However, Amy, he was investigated again a few years later when a new detective took over the case. 
And Dusty was interrogated again and subjected to this process, which he describes as very strenuous on himself and on his new relationship. So he is also interviewed in the podcast and he says this second investigation, it bore such a strain on my relationship. You know, when you're with someone who doesn't understand, I thought you've been cleared of this. Why would you be looked at again? I don't know, but it sounds like it had a very negative impact on their relationship. Did they have any reason to suspect him other than that he had a romantic relationship with her at some point? They thought that he was very upset about the breakup and might have been upset that she moved on so quickly with Shane and was resentful of their family. But he had an alibi. Well, not only did he have an alibi, but he had also moved on. It was in a relationship as well. And I'll tell you this, upon the second verification and Dusty's passing a polygraph, the police finally accepted that Dusty was not involved in Brittany's murder. I have to tell you, he said something I thought that was kind of profound, unculpable, which was something to the effect of, if you know you're innocent, stand your ground. Like, do not let them convince you to say anything otherwise. He could see why people would start to buckle. He's like, don't do it. Stand your ground. Keep to your story. And I was thinking about all those people who were coerced into confessions, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm glad that Dusty wasn't. It seems that he had no involvement. Though there isn't much information about the next two names provided by Shane, the information I include is what I gathered from listening to Culpable, and I didn't see it anywhere else. Jerry Seidner, Shane's neighbor, had a dispute about a year before Brittany's death with Shane. But this seemed to be a neighbor squabble. And really not much more. I guess also remember during an investigation, police will ask you, is there anyone who might have a beef with you or mm -hmm. a problem with Brittany, even if you think it's minor? So while some might say, why would Shane report this if the police said, no matter what you think, let us know. But that's really that didn't really go anywhere. Another name Shane provided was Donald Chamberlain, who Shane had two disputes with about a year before Brittany's murder. The first was at a gas station where Shane claimed that Chamberlain had insulted his mother-in-law and the two exchanged words. Now, the second was a little bit more profound. The second incident happened about a week later on a road near Shane's home where the two, Donald and Shane, each in their own vehicles, had passed each other on the street and pulled over, having words in the road again. And then, according to Shane... Donald brandished a weapon, a firearm, in a subtle threat to Shane, who walked away because he was brandishing a weapon. But Donald's story is different, Amy. He says that Shane basically blocked him in on the road, approached his vehicle in a threatening manner, and when he did, Donald displayed a gun in fear of what Shane might do. So this, we can't ignore the fact that Brittany was part of a road rage incident earlier that day. Correct. Do we know what kind of car that was? Is that possible that it's this guy and he thought it was... Shane driving that car because she was in the his car. It is possible. And some people do believe that it was a van, though. I don't think they ever knew what mm -hmm. year model make, you know, it was. And I don't believe they were able to link it to him. Now, I mean, this is interesting. Both Donald and Shane, by the way, reported the incident to the police, but no charges were filed against either one of them. I think it was, you know, just a finger pointing situation. And perhaps the police didn't know who was really to blame. And while the podcast culpable reported on these two incidents, they could not as well, after a very deep dive, find any further information about these men. And the connection to the case, you know, at this point is tenuous at best. Now, Shane's leads didn't seem to go anywhere, but two years later, police got a very promising tip. 
In September 2015, a woman came forward telling police that she knew who killed Brittany and that she was there when it happened. This was kind of a whoa moment. Mm -hmm. So what this woman said was that her ex-boyfriend, Tommy Lee Lopez, had been hired to kill Brittany as payback for Shane not paying a debt. What that debt is remains a mystery. Yes, Amy, your hand was up. So Sorry, when we record remote, sometimes I just raise my hand because sometimes there's like a delay and I always feel like I'm interrupting you. So thank you for noticing my my hand raise. I was thinking that from the beginning, you know, wondering could Shane have hired someone? Oh, there, there's a child in the car. Shane would never want his child killed. I would not think so. I would, I would definitely not think that Shane would have wanted his child killed. There also, I will discuss this later, but, you know, while it seems that Aubrey might have been intended to be a victim, others say, no, Brittany was probably the victim. Someone who shot in this rain probably did not know there was a child in the car. Not only that, a lot of people don't put their children's car seat in the front seat. So maybe they thought, if anything, the baby was in the back. Yes. Tinted windows in that car, do you know? I'm not sure if they were tinted, no. But, you know, again, it was also very, very rainy. It was dark and she's small, mm -hmm. which is not to say what happened to her wasn't terrible. We just don't know if she was actually an intended victim from the start. So again, this debt remains a mystery. What this woman said was that she and her boyfriend, Tommy, followed Brittany from a gas station for about 25 minutes when Lopez used a fake police light to pull Brittany over. Now, this was important, too, because Brittany's parents were adamant that she would not have pulled over for anyone but a police officer. And while you might like to think that of your children, they gave examples of how I think it was Dave Dotson, her father, had pulled over and Brittany was very upset about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and her mom said, no, 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 I, I taught her that we were very closely aligned. She would not have pulled over if it wasn't for a police officer. So this seemed to make sense. She said that when Brittany pulled over, Lopez got out of the car and shot Brittany several times through the door of her vehicle. And then the two fled the scene. This woman said that Lopez was paid two installments of $10,000 each for committing this crime. Now, despite how out of left field this may have sounded, investigators felt that this was a very promising lead at first. They thought it made sense. Were the, was her story consistent with the evidence as far as getting shot through the passenger side door or through the driver's side door? Like, was that information ever made public? Only something the killer would know? Because that would put a lot more stock in it then. Yes, it was public. Okay. So yes, her information's consistent with a public <laughs> okay. narrative. All right. So Tommy Lopez was already serving time on drug-related charges. And per this witness, his ex-girlfriend, he was responsible for other murders. And she also provided details about specific other cases. Police, again, were very excited about this. I must know, was she incentivized? Was she trying to fight a charge of her own? Could this have been just revenge? Is there a reason why she's throwing this guy's name in the ring? So it does seem like there might have been an incentive for her. Okay. I can't tell you how much of an incentive. What I can tell you is that the police thought it was promising enough that they got warrants to search Lopez's home and vehicle, but they could not find anything that would connect him to Brittany's murder or the other murders this woman described. The case was still, however, brought to a grand jury, though. But the jury did not indict him because in the end, there wasn't any evidence to suggest Lopez was connected other than that statement provided by his ex-girlfriend 
who I will say has always maintained her original story. But the police have since gone on the record saying that they found she was deceptive. And yes, there may have been an incentive here. Shane was also very surprised to hear this name because Shane had, you know, ideas and thought he had ideas about what had happened. And he said, I've never heard this guy's name before. He was surprised. The Dotsons thought the police were barking up the wrong tree. And in the end, the police really found that this was not a lead that went anywhere. And also in the end, Shane has his own theory, Amy. On the record to both police and the Culpable podcast, Shane says he knows who killed Brittany. However, Shane will not publicly reveal the identity of this person. Why? Well, first of all, he says that this was, Brittany was killed as a message to him. Why? According to Shane, he said that he was trying to do some good. He was trying to help his crime and drug-ridden community by doing something positive. So initially you would think, oh, well, that means he was, you know, informing. He Mm -hmm. was a cooperator, you know, some type of informant. He says on the record that that is not the case at all. He said that what he was doing was pursuing a career in law enforcement. And for some reason, Shane believes this incensed someone in his community so much, this person who was, I guess, a major drug dealer, so much so that this person would be willing to kill Brittany as a message to Shane. Why not just kill Shane? The only thing, the only way that would make sense is if they thought Shane was driving that car, maybe. Yes. But it doesn't make sense. Maybe they didn't know she was pregnant. I'd say, especially a pregnant woman. None of that makes sense to me. I don't think anyone knew that. And again, I'm not sure if they knew her child was in the vehicle. It's possible they did. Shane also feels that the road rage incident Brittany experienced the morning before her murder is related to the crime. And he adds that in Brittany's text about the incident, the road rage one, Brittany said it was a man and a woman in the car. This is a new detail that has not been confirmed by the police. In the end, though, Amy, these are just Shane's theories. And as he admits on the podcast Culpable, he could be completely off. So he does not want to point fingers publicly. I need to know if there are people that think Shane is responsible. There's a couple different ways to look at this. So why don't we why don't we do that? Let's talk about what we're left with now. What are the theories and the possibilities? Here's what we can conjecture based on the evidence. Brittany was involved with that road rage incident earlier in the day, and her murder could possibly be connected to this incident. Now, perhaps Brittany was the accidental victim and not the intended one, which I think is what you were saying in this case. So there is a theory, very, you know, one of the strongly believed theories is that she was only driving Shane's yellow Jeep as of recent. And someone who could not see the driver in this rain and in the dark may have believed it was Shane and was trying to kill him and not Brittany. That's one of the contending theories. Or Brittany was the intended victim, but it was a message to Shane. Now, remember, I can't say for sure, but Shane did seem to have a history of altercations with several people. It does seem that he was involved in a lot of disputes. While none of them really struck me as serious to kill his wife over, I can't say that for sure. And I can't say what his other history of disputes that we don't know about might be. And Shane seems to believe this was a message to him. These are pretty much the theories what we are left with. Or you could believe that Shane was involved in some way. And the police don't believe that. But one could still Mm -hmm. posit this as a theory that he was involved in some way 
of hiring mm-hmm. someone to kill Brittany. Yeah. I don't believe that, especially since his daughter was in the car. I'm not saying he'd be capable of doing that even if his daughter weren't in the car. I don't know him enough, but right. I'm glad, if, especially if he did have nothing to do with it, I'm glad he's not being suspected because very rarely do theories turn away from the husband or the boyfriend, especially if you had recently had a fight. Yes, it does seem that the police have turned away from Shane and are looking for other avenues. And they cooperated with the podcast Culpable because they said, look, we Mm -hmm. were stumped. This was 2013. We need help from the public. What do people make of, because it seems like you focused a bit on the fact that it was odd that she asked him to make bring a change of clothes. I'm assuming that comes in here somehow. What's the relevance? Well, the relevance is that it was odd. Shane seems to think that It was related to that road rage incident. Maybe she was a little bit scared or maybe she was scared of something else that she just wasn't saying. It was an odd request and there's really no way to know why she had made it. And there was no report on it. You mean she was scared to go home that evening? Yes. Okay. Yes. It happened. The road rage incident happened right near her home. The other point I want to bring up is you seem to make it a point about whether or not she liked driving his car or often drove his car. Why is that so important? Because we don't know who the intended victim was. Was it Shane or was it her? Mm -hmm. You know, if this was broad daylight and someone was shot outside of the vehicle, we would know. But because this was at night and it was in the vehicle, we don't know if the person knew it wasn't Shane driving. And it changes the entire course of the investigation. If Brittany's the victim, that changes things. If Shane's the victim, it changes directions. Yeah, very much. Because somebody, it it takes a different person to kill a man versus a woman. Mm -hmm. And also it could then tell us a little bit about, you know, more about who the potential suspect is, of course, if we knew who the intended victim was. And one thing I noticed in the end, so this was just my own personal observation, because the police aren't saying quite if they have suspects, but they keep saying, I noticed that someone knows something. And of course, that's true. Someone has to know. Mm -hmm. But what I find more interesting is that they say, Someone knows something who's afraid to come forward or who does not want to snitch. Now, why do I find that interesting? Because that implies that there's more than one person involved. And it implies that the people involved are maybe known gang members, known you know people that you don't want to snitch on. Obviously, anyone who can kill someone is somebody that you'd probably be fearful of. But it also leads me to think that it's somebody who... There's reason to be very fearful of maybe they have someone who's maybe high up in the drug trade or in the black market. I think it could be that. But it's it's just the way they kept saying it. I'm like, they think that's at least somebody else knows or is involved. And that's something we haven't quite heard publicly. So it, it could be the case that there must be, I don't know, some kind of lead. But what about Brittany's family and where we are today? Shane and the Dotsons had a rough road, as I said, but they have found a way to get along for Aubrey's sake. There's no love lost, let's just say that, but they are quite civil. And again, they do get along for Aubrey. Five years after Brittany's murder, Shane sued the sheriff's department to get his Jeep back, saying that he wanted the Jeep for sentimental purposes, that he and his wife had all of their own great adventures there. It was where their first date was, and he hoped to restore it for Aubrey someday. This was controversial. If my mother were murdered in a car, that's not sentimental. I would want nothing to do with that car. Yeah, but Shane says that he asked Aubrey about it and that she does want the car. Again, it's very controversial. The Dodsons were upset. Brittany's father said he would have destroyed the vehicle if it, it was his choice. Yeah. But... 
Other people say they understand why it would be sentimental to Shane. I don't really see that, but that's personal choice. Shane has since remarried. As for Aubrey, she is thriving, top of her class kind of student who appears very well adjusted and loved, very intelligent and well-spoken, but is also just a young girl who still very much wants to know what happened to her mother. Although the police do not have a particular suspect that they're revealing, they are using advances in technology to try a new angle in this case. The lead detective now, Detective Carlson, said that he's been able to get some data that was previously unavailable. And he's using the technology to recreate the data and information that was present the day of the crime. So while we can't speculate completely, we can a little because I'm going to bet this has some cell phone technology and using cell towers to gauge the presence of certain people or their phones. Mm-hmm. which we know is done more commonly now with investigations. But I don't know how much it was done 10 years ago. Interesting side note here, Amy. Detective Carlson is from California, and his parents were both actors on the soap opera General Hospital, huh. um, which is why they refer to him often as Hollywood. <laughs> but there's nothing Hollywood about this case or his work. He is very serious. He referenced the fact that warrants for cell phone information can produce thousands of pages of documents. And even though this seems to take a long time, that takes a long time in itself to go through. There are also other Google mapping point tactics that are being employed, and it's already showing promise. According to Detective Carlson, he said he won't say that he has a specific suspect, but he has a specific direction now, one that he is both confident and excited about. I definitely hope this is one of those cases that we'll be doing an update on because we'll find out who's responsible and they'll be brought to justice. I hope you are right, Amy. But in the meantime, there is currently a $50,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of Britney's murderer. If anyone has information that might help, you can contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office online at browncountyohiosheriff.us or you can contact Detective Carlson directly at phone number 937-378-4435, extension 130. And that is everything we have for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include NBC News, ABC News, and the series Culpable. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.